You're listening to a Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, Hey everybody, welcome to another installment of the Savage Lovecast. I'm Dan Savage, and this is, of course, as ever, the once-a-week outlawed version of my sex advice column, Savage Love. People call in, record questions, sometimes I call them back, sometimes I just explode. 206-201-2720 is the number at the podcast if you'd like to record a question for a future show. Uh, We have lots of questions to get to, and we are going to get to them right after this. Today's episode of Savage Love is brought to you by AdamandEve.com, where you can find over 18,000 adult entertainment products. Visit AdamandEve.com and get 50% off one item when you type SAVAGE for the offer code coupon checkout. I don't shave my pussy. I don't want to. I'm 19 and a virgin, and I enjoy feeling natural in that way. Am I wrong, though? Is my submersive bush... I'm sorry, I wrote this out. Is my submersive bush really just unseemly and gross? Thank you, sir, for your wisdom. A submersive bush? Submersive? Is that like a cross between submissive and submersible? It's like a cringing bottom. What are those things that go under the water and stay there? Submarine of a twat you've got there? What? Submersive? But that's not your question. That's just your made up adjective. Uh, Your question is whether it's gross that uh, you have hair. Uh, that you have pubic hair, and, and, and the short answer is yes. Hey Dan, I'm pretty. I feel comfortable with my body expressing myself, all that sort of stuff. But I'm very self-conscious about ass hair. So, uh, what's uh, I don't know if you have the word on the street about uh, how guys feel about it. Um, what's a manageable amount? I don't want to get it waxed. Like, what can I do so it doesn't look like I just use the number two trimmer? Um, so, if you could help me out, that would be. Amazing. Thanks. So basically your question is whether your ass hair, which uh, it's, we have no way of knowing if it's submersive or not, your ass hair, uh, maybe your ass hair is dominant and takes flight as opposed to submissive and dives to the bottom of the ocean. Um, you want to know if your ass hair is gross? Yes. In a word, yes. Just as gross as pussy hair. Uh I suppose. Uh, Look, people have hair on their bodies. Hair grows uh, in people's ass cracks and around people's vaginas. Um, Is it gross? Well, there's no yes or no answer to that question. Some people prefer the clean-shaven look or the smooth bunghole look. Some don't. Some prefer hairy ass crack and hairy twats. Uh, So it really depends on who you ask. If you ask me if I think... A hairy pussy is gross. I will say yes. But if you ask me if I think a clean-shaven pussy is gross, I will say yes. Because I just think pussy is gross. Coming and going. Hairy or not, right? If you ask me if I think hairy ass crack is gross, well, maybe I do. Maybe I don't. It depends on the guy. It depends on their personal hygiene. depends on the coarseness, thickness of the hair, the the amount of the hair, the exact placement of it. Whatever. It just – it's really subjective. It comes down to taste and your own personal comfort level. If you're comfortable – with your ass crack hair and your pussy hair, if you like it, if you like feeling natural and all submersive, you can keep it. And you can seek out sex partners who appreciate your ass crack for the little forest that it is or appreciate your vagina for the Van Gogh haystack that you've placed atop it. But 
You might want to consider if you're with somebody who you like, who prefers a clean shaven look, you might want to re-examine, you know, how closely tied your sense of sexual self-esteem and self-worth uh, is to holding on to the ass crack hair or the twat hair. Uh, you know, that might be something that for a very special someone, you might be willing to sacrifice every once in a while. Uh, buy a trip to the waxer for the back crack and sack. Uh, treatment for the dudes or uh, the Brazilian for the ladies. Uh, but you get to make that decision for yourself about whether you're going to dispose of your ass hair and your <laughs> twan hair uh, for a very special someone. But you may find yourself with a very special someone who likes your very special hairy bits and junk just the way they are. Hi, Dan. I have a dating question for you. A couple of weeks ago, I went on a date with a guy he seemed perfectly nice, but then halfway through dinner, he insulted me twice. He kept touching me inappropriately, and when he finally walked me to my car, he tried to jam his tongue down my throat and eat my face. I kind of decided at that point that I didn't need to see him again. But since then, he's been emailing me almost every day, and now he's escalated it to the point where he's, like, looking for excuses to find out what's going on with me and my whereabouts through mutual friends by copying the I'm worried about her excuse because I'm not responding to his emails. I'm kind of feeling like I don't need to respond. I don't owe him anything. We're not friends. It was one date. It didn't go well. And he's just not getting the hint that my lack of response is the response. However, my friend who is talking to him, I think, has unwittingly set up this thing with him where he thinks that he can go to my friend and talk to him about it. And I've told my friend that it's not okay to give uh, information about me. I mean, don't say I'm fine. Don't say I'm busy. Just stay out of it. And my friend is saying, okay, fine, but he's also saying that guys are kind of clueless and that I'm being kind of mean by not returning his emails. And if I would just write back and say, I'm just not feeling it. Thanks for dinner. Then he'd go away. But I kind of feel like since he keeps escalating a way to contact me, that maybe this guy is just inappropriate and any kind of contact will just encourage him. So, can I get your opinion? On behalf of all people with penises everywhere, I apologize for the behavior okay. of the douchebag on your day. Okay. Um, Thank you. I'm sorry, to twice. I'm sorry to try to eat your face uh, and everything else that he did. Um, men can be clueless, right? Um, oh, totally. It, it, you did make one tiny error, however, and okay. I'm not blaming the victim here. In you know, the first time he called you or wanted to send you an email about another day, you didn't say not feeling it and go away. Yeah. That you did, you know, because you let him. And if he's that clueless that he would try that stuff and then think he had a chance with you after you were like, uh, uh-uh, go away, he's uh-huh. so clueless that he probably wouldn't go away without taking the hint. However, some of his behaviors, the trying to track you. The, the, you know, wheedling at your friends about where you are, those are total red flags for abuser. Oh, okay. I didn't, that didn't even occur to me. That it just, like, this, this, the smell of desperation was just, like, wafting. And I was just like, oh, I think I gotta go. Yeah, you do have to, you need to go, and you need to tell him to fuck off. So you can't go back in time machine and tell him to fuck off when you should have told him to fuck off. But you can go to your mutual friend and say, yeah. look, he's, this behavior of his is scary, and you are mm-hmm. encouraging it and enabling it, and that is not cool. And you have to Correct. stop it. Stop talking to him. Don't tell him anything about me. 
period. And you, right. it would probably be a good idea. You know, they, the, the rule of thumb is you don't want any contact with a stalker or somebody who's engaged in this kind of behavior because it encourages them. If they feel like they can get anything out of you, they can get more. But right. Because you fucked up by not, at the moment, you should have saying, you know, this is what you need to know. I'm not interested. He may just not be, he may not be a stalker and abuser. He just may be so clueless that he thinks that you guys had a great date. You know, if he misread you so thoroughly during the date that he didn't know he was insulting you, that he didn't know that you weren't into him, he may be misreading your behavior now. Right. So you need to give him that tiny, tiny, tiny benefit of the doubt. Send the fuck off email you should have sent weeks okay. ago. And then tell your friend, I will not, I don't want anything to do with him. You don't have to tell him anything about me. You don't have to tell him where I'm going. You don't have to say fucking one word about me to him. And if you say anything about me to him, I can't be your friend anymore either. Okay. It's I can do that. Business when when straight guys and gay guys have done it to gay guys too engage in this kind of stalker behavior, and you want to nip it in the butt before it. Yeah. Well, in his mere defense of both the sort of quote unquote stalker and my friend, I I think it's a case of cluelessness. I think that he just um, he. He's had experience with women. I know that because I'm aware of some of the people he's dated in a sort of general sense. But I think that either these girls did in the, like, the disservice of also not letting him down gently or having other issues. And then, you know, I think my friend was well-intended. But I did already tell him. I was like, look, you need to stay out of it. Don't tell him anything. Because so, you don't want him yeah. to your workplace. You don't want him to have any sort of say anything romantic fantasies I'm thinking about that John Cusack movie because there's so much oh, yeah. out there in the cul- cultural uh, on the cultural scene that encourages guys to think that if they just are relentless that women will fall in love with them for the relentlessness itself because it proves they're oh I uh, and you have I totally agree not all guys who fall for that particularly when they're young are abusers or stalkers but enough are that you need to be concerned but you need to probably send him an email that says look not interested and you might want to do him the favor if you know of past instances where girls haven't done him the favor of telling him exactly why you're not interested yes you told me at dinner that one actually you made a bad ham handed pass at me and this kind of behavior I don't know if I told you is scary <laughs> and unacceptable blah and, and please don't contact me anymore Okay, so I, in a way, it may be sort of painful, but I am actually doing him a sort of life lesson service, if maybe if I give him a few reasons. Absolutely, and then you want to keep okay. in with you wherever you go for about three weeks. All right? Okay, okay. Thanks so much. Sure thing. Today's episode of Savage Love is brought to you by AdamandEve.com, where you can find over 18,000 adult entertainment products. Visit AdamandEve.com and get 50% off one item when you type SAVAGE for the offer code coupon checkout. They got tons of stuff there. They got lingerie, fully submersivable, I presume. Over 350 movies that start at just $4.95. And my personal favorite... The Clona Willy kit, which is just thirty nine ninety five, and I think it's perfect for a summer vacation arts and crafts project for your adult babies. And remember, they're having a special offer for Savage Love listeners at adamandeve.com. When you go to adamandeve.com, you can get 50% off one item when you type SAVAGE for the offer code coupon checkout. And plus, with an order of $17 or more, we'll throw in or they'll throw in a free gift. So get 50% off with the offer code SAVAGE at adamandeve.com right now. Hey, Dan. I'm 32 years old, and for most of my life, I'd say that at least in the past seven years, I've been in pretty conservative sexual relationships, which is really nothing that's in my head, but the disconnect between what I was allowing in my personal life and 
those in my fantasy world were pretty big, pretty huge. This past year, I found a girl who is self-described freak and GGG up for anything. It's been great. It's kind of all I've ever wanted. Problem is, is she's pretty controlling it into me being monogamous and uh, not monogamous herself. She lies about it a lot. Uh, the relationship is pretty much on the uh, outs right now uh, because of one of these things. And my problem is, is that I, I was willing to explore a lot of different options, I think, uh, to kind of keep this ball rolling and uh, kind of develop as a, as a person sexually and see what, see what it was all about. I can't really get her on board. And that was a, that was a tough thing for us. So I guess all the, the lying was a big problem. And I just wondered if there's any way that, for me to convince her uh, that there are other options out there, a way to approach that. I'm always a little disturbed when I hear people say something like, there was always a disconnect between my fantasy life and what I allowed myself to do or pursue uh, in my actual sex life. That kind of disconnect is going to, you know, over the long term, make you unhappy. It's going to land you a sexual, uh, you know, perhaps a spouse or a life partner uh, with whom you're ultimately not sexually compatible because the stuff that plays on the tape loop in your head when you're masturbating uh, – you can only put that off for so long. There's going to come a time in your life where you're going to want to incorporate uh, these things you've thought about into the, you know, the sex life you're actually having. Not all of them. There's certainly some people out there who have fantasies that they uh, never intend to act on and don't really particularly want to act on and still just want to enjoy his fantasy. But those people are in the minority and even people who have certain fantasies that they never intend to act on have other fantasies that they do intend to act on and they do act on. So I would encourage you as you move forward to reconcile and bring together your fantasy life and the sex life that you enjoy and pursue with the women that you date. Don't think that the women that you date in future should be this particular woman. And I hope that you would not rule out dating freaky women in the future just because this particular freaky woman uh, wasn't just a freak in the sack. She was a freak in the head and a bit of a freak between the ears. Uh, the whole demanding monogamy of ye from you while she is being non-monogamous and lying about it and having blow-ups around – uh, you know, her cheating ways, and this is clearly power and control issues and her own psychotic bullshit. Uh, that's all very disconcerting. Uh, and that really kind of rules somebody out. That that person is not currently a healthy sex partner, uh, particularly with that kind of double standard and with that kind of deceit. You know, it would be one thing if she was, you know, the kind of freak who said, I'm a freak and I want to fuck other guys, but you know what? If you're going to be with me, this is what I ask from the guys that I'm fucking. They don't, you don't get to fuck any other women. And you, and she was found a way to incorporate in a healthy way, you know, this sexual double standard, uh, and imbalance of power into the erotic life that she shared with you. If this is some way that you were, you know, submersible to her. You might be able to roll with it and even enjoy it and get something out of it. But if she's going to lie and cheat and make you feel insecure uh, and demand something of you that she's not willing to do herself but she's telling you that she's doing, that's just all real uh, – those are red flags and you should run screaming. But there are other women out there who are just as freaky in the sack and not as freaky in the head or women out there who would love you so much and be so into you that they'd be willing to get a little freaky with you and explore your fantasies with you even if they weren't the fantasies that they arrived with into the relationship. And you should go and date some of them. 
Hi, Dan. I'm calling from Tampa, Florida. I'm a 42-year-old gay man, and I have a partner of who is 36 years old. We've been together for almost 12 years, uh, primarily a monogamous relationship, and I mean that by 99% plus. Uh, the other 1% is why I'm calling. Uh, recently, uh, well, he's learned that I've been on traveling on the road and uh, receiving massages uh, with happy endings. And he's devastated by this, thinking I broke our monogamy vow, and in a way I feel like I have, and I've really let him down. And uh, he's questioning whether or not I'm the same person he's known for the last 12 years. And uh, it's basically... Uh, put our relationship in a real big bind right now, and uh, I'm not sure how to uh, proceed on to help him heal, if I can do that, or how he can help himself move along, um, or if I just need to move on and he needs to move on. Uh, we certainly don't want that to happen, but this seems like a pretty tough thing for him to get through, uh, even though I'm extremely sorry for uh, the hurt that I've caused him and uh, it's just really a tough situation. So have there been any changes, any developments since you recorded that question for us, Brent? Uh, well, we've been uh, seeing a, a counselor about the issue, but we still haven't got to any resolution where he doesn't feel, though, that he can forgive. Mm -hmm. So we're still stalled. And how long has this been going on? How long has it been since he discovered that you're getting hand jobs? He's he's known probably since uh, the first part of the year, mm -hmm. and he was gathering, doing information gathering. He figured out the password to my email account and uh, various different things, and found emails. And so he was snooping. Yes, but he had cause because you were actually doing something snoop worthy. Actually, actually, he he found out when I was away on business and asked him to go into one of my email accounts and look up a particular email, which he did. In that inbox was an email from one of my clandestine email accounts, of which he said, hmm, I've never seen that email address before, and that's how he sleuthed and figured it out. Okay, so that, that unraveled everything. So why were you yeah. doing this? Why were you getting these uh, massages of happy endings when you're on the road? You know, I, I've tried to think about this a lot, and... Come on, you must I, have been thinking about it in the moment. Don't overthink it now. Like, you made the calls, you set up the appointments, you knew that this would be violating your understanding, whether it was stated or not, with your long-term partner. So yes. what were you thinking in that moment? Like, what was the need you were getting met that you weren't getting met at home? Variety? I think it was the attention. I think the fact that when you go into massage, you, you know, it's all about you. Uh -huh. it, everything that happens in there, you, you know, 97% of why, why I, I felt like I was in there is that it felt good. I was getting attention. It was something that I don't think I fully got at home. And so, how, but how was so? How was the sex at home? How was the sex life at home after twelve? The years? sex is actually pretty good. Have you guys been I having mean, sex since the big reveal? Uh, actually, that's gone downhill fast. <laughs> well, uh, there's so. a big trust issue now, uh -huh. and he feels very vulnerable, and uh, you know it's been it's been very difficult for him. And that part of the relationship, uh, he hasn't been able to forgive and thus trust again enough to have sex. Okay. Well, uh, you know, my feeling, and you know, maybe I should be saying these things to him. You know, if you can't. 
you know, you, if you can't forgive somebody that you've lived with and loved for 12 years for doing something like this, then forgiveness doesn't really mean anything. Like, forgiveness comes, steps in when something's hard and when, when there's a real violation, you know. And so if he can't claw his way to a place where he can forgive you and, in a way, let you off the hook by forgiving you and not sort of live with a look on his face for the rest of his life that says, you asshole... Because right. you can't look at that face for the rest of your life. Right. Then you need to end it. You need to just cut the cord. And six months is a is not is not enough to, not enough of an investment of time yet to determine whether he can or can't forgive you and whether you guys can work this out. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we've we we still are are talking about it, uh, and the fact that you know he feels as though I've betrayed the trust. Uh, I don't know if I if I said it specifically uh, to you before. Uh, seven years ago, he had a uh, a couple of encounters uh, of sexual nature when I was out traveling, and we went through counseling after that, and I forgave him, never abused it against him. Was that in the back of your head when you made the? Appointments, like I don't think so. Away with it. If I get caught, I'll get. This is my get out of free card. Well, I I did believe that. I did believe that it it was an equal. That if 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 it was found out, if 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 he found out and he was upset about it, that this would be okay. We're even. Okay, so I do believe that. Have you said that to him in counseling? Yes. Like I forgave you. You did it to me. Now I did it to you. Why can't we just call it a draw? What does he say? What does the counselor say? Well, uh, you know, she says that, you know, he needs to forgive. Never forget. She goes, you will not forget it, but you need to forgive to move on. And, and he, she doesn't say, and you know, you owe him one. You owe him a forgive. No, no, no. She does not say that. She should. Well, that's certainly what I would like <laughs> like for him to understand. But he's he seems to really, you know, he says... You know, you're my friend. You're my best friend in the world, and we've so been what, through... And what were you to him when he was fucking around on you? And again, I, I feel that way, but I don't. I feel like I'm in such a position now where... Yes, you need to stand up on your back legs. You need to stand up for yourself. You need to stop taking punches from the shrink, from him, about this... He did it to you, it wasn't right, you forgave, now you did it to him, you recognize it wasn't right, and he either forgives you or, or you're out. Like, he needs to be able to do for you what you did for him then. Also, as you guys move forward, I really think you should have a conversation about whether or not you, sh- you want to create some space in your relationship for outside sexual contacts. You've both already done it once, and you'll both probably, if you stay together for another 12, 20, 30, 40 years, do it again. And unless you want to be right back here at Square bullshitting with a couples counselor in 10 years about forgiveness, you should maybe figure out a way that, you know, maybe if you guys go see a masseuse and get happy endings together, it's all kosher. Like, you need to claw your way towards some sort of opening the door a crack for permissible outside sexual contact that is mutually acceptable and pre-agreed to, so you don't step Mm -hmm. on this landmine again. Oh, I agree. We actually discussed that this morning at the counselors, which was that if it ever, if we ever were brought together in this situation again, that would definitely be the end because we've both been in each side. We've both been in each other's shoes. We've both been the receiver, the victim, and we've both been the victimizer. And so now the third time that you go in is like, 
we don't think that it, it would last again if it ever happened. Well, that, yeah, that's if you go into a third time with the same set of expectations, right. which is that we're in a closed, strictly monogamous relationship. You know what? You're not. You're gay men. You've both cheated on each other already. So instead of saying, oh, God, these incidents of outside sexual contact really rocked our definition of our relationship, as you move forward, maybe you could tinker with the definition of your relationship so if it happens again, it won't rock it so severely and it's likely to survive. That's a, that's a good point. And that's, that's something we probably need to consider. You're men. You're fags. <laughs> He, he, we've we've had this issue of talking about monogamy in the gay world since we've been together. Because as we, when we first got together, one of the things that we didn't really like about the gay community in general, stereotyping, was that everybody around us seemed to be having sex all the time, and it was prom, promiscuous. And he was from a pretty conservative family, and so was I. And I, my family had all kinds of relationships. So you embraced yeah. conservative family values, and you had a monogamous relationship and you've both committed adultery and that is, Absolutely. That, that is somehow in my reading not superior to a, a, a honest relationship between two men where there is, I'm not saying, you know, both you guys both in slings on separate ends of town every night getting fisted by 40 strangers. I'm saying some allowance for outside sexual contact under mutually agreeable circumstances that is very limited in scope and right. frequency. So that you're still into these primary sexual partners, but that there's some, that the doors open a crack, not knocked off the hinges, as I like to say. And clearly you guys need to hammer your way to an agreement like that, or you're going to be right back in this position that you find yourself in today. And I, I completely agree. You might want to think about going to a different counselor, and you need to stand up for yourself in these sessions and stop cringing. I, I appreciate that. I'll give you an update after I talk to him. Okay, good luck. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. I'm 25 and I'm calling about my sister. She's 19, gone on 20, and um, right now she's in a relationship with someone who's 20 years her senior. Um, that's something I can deal with, but there's a whole lot of other stuff to with it. Um, she's been with this person for at least three years that I know of. Um, considering that she was underage at the time, she hasn't been very open about how exactly, how long exactly she's been with this person. Um, he is married, um, which is one of the problems, but the biggest thing that's concerning me right now is that um, she's been living with him and his wife and their kids and also one of his girlfriends and their kids, which, you know, I understand that's what some people choose to do, but this is a very volatile situation. Um, what really has brought you know, it to my attention even more is that my other sister recently um, saw that, you know, my sister Sharon had scratches on her arm um, because she had gotten into a fight with either the wife or the girlfriend. Um, she's been living with them, you know, back and forth for almost the past year uh, when things are okay. You know, she's living there and, you know, something happens and she moves out and she either stays with my mom or my sister. Um, Another thing that's really scaring me right now is that uh, my mom is kind of emotionally preparing herself for, you know, if something bad happens to my sister. She tells her, you know, make sure you always have ID on you in case after, you know, in case they need to identify you or, you know, this is how people get killed, you know, the way that you're living. 
And, you know, my sister, she's really young, and she's been through a lot dealing with this guy and his wife and his girlfriend and their whole family. And, you know, I thought this was something that would just pass. Um, I tried to be supportive and, you know, give her someone to talk to about the relationship. But it's really got to the point to where I'm, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to say to her. Um to get her to get out of this relationship before something really horrible happens to her. Stop playing your part in the drama that your sister has constructed for herself. Um, I suspect that as a young uh, person, uh, your sister may have that self-dramatizing gene uh, that some young people have where they want to feel like their romance, their love is this grand fucking passion uh, war and peace and, you know, the more drama and cat fights in this instance um, and, you know, moving in and moving out, the more of that kind of nonsense that there is, the more the more proof there is that it's true love because it's romantic and it's passionate and it's up and it's down and it's fighting and screaming, it's yelling, it's moving out, it's moving out. Um, you and your sister and your mother may be playing supporting roles in the drama that your sister perceives as her love life. Um, and for all the grief it causes her, perhaps perversely enjoys as a part of her love life. Uh, and you guys need to stop playing along. You need to have one big blowout, one intervention. The three of you sit her down and scream and yell, tell her to get out and get help and that you'll be there for her when she decides to get out and get help. But you're just not going to play your supporting parts in this bullshit drama anymore. If he's bad news, you know, and I defer to you and your mom and your sister. If the three of you have made a rational, cold judgment and this guy's a dumbass motherfucker who is grooming your sister to be in an abusive relationship from the time she was 17 years old, I'll defer and say, okay, well, say that to your sister. Say it at great length. Say it at great volume. And say it over and over and over again so that it begins to worm its way into her head. And then step the fuck back and let her live her life, even if what she wants to do with her life is throw it away on this jackass and his family. But then you just need to step back. You need to say your piece. And then if she comes to you with this bullshit again, if she comes to you with a big whiny story and scratches and, oh, poor pity, pity me, I'm moving out of the fights. Don't play along. Say, you know how I feel about this guy. You know how I feel about what you're doing. You know how I feel about the situation. I don't want to talk about it. When you're ready to get out, then we can talk. Period. But you should still be there to help her out. You should still be your sister. Still be there to talk about the weather. Still be there to talk about the sports or whatever the fuck your family talks about. Just don't talk about her relationship until it's re until she's ready to end it. Unless she's reaching out to you for help to end it, don't go there. Don't play your part in this drama. Don't play the part she's assigned you in her drama. Step out. Hi, Dan. I'm a 22 single female, straight, and my question is this. In the past, when I've been in a trusting, more committed relationship, I've noticed that I'm into kind of domination. I like to be dominated. I guess you would call that S&M. I'm, I'm not really sure, but um, I do know that I'm not turned on by S&M porn at all actually. So I was just wondering, how do I go about learning more about it and getting into it without um, having to, you know, go to the whole porn aspect of it? Okay, thanks. Bye. 
domination and submission or power exchange or whatever you want to call it can take so many different forms. And it really is up to you to decide what turns around. And I don't think you necessarily need to look to porn. You need to look inside and explore. Now, there are people who, when they were you know, 22 years old and just starting to dabble in power exchange, weren't into all the costumes and props um, and drama. They just wanted a little like being held down or rolling around. And then they found that their tastes for power exchange grew and they grew into more of the costumes and props, uh, you know, and playrooms and fetish balls and all the other uh, accoutrement of, the, you know, SM porn and the BDSM community and the leather fetish scene um, that uh, arguably turn you off at this moment. So don't close yourself out to it forever because you may find as your sexual sexuality, uh, as you explore your sexuality, that it grows in that direction because you already have this inclination towards Dom Subplay. Uh, there's tons of writing out there. I would start at the Cleese Press website. There's tons of writing about power exchange, the loving dominant, the sexually dominant woman, uh, BDSM 101. Uh, there's just shitloads uh, of books that have been written for people who are curious about uh, – power exchange and about uh, S&M and about domination and submission. And they're not prescriptive. They don't – you don't crack open those books and they say there's only one right way to do this. You have to do it this way and it has to look like SM porn. It doesn't and you don't have to do it that way. You have to do it the way that turns you on. But a lot of people when they're just starting out don't know exactly what turns them on. They just know that this mood of domination submission turns them on. And you have to find these concrete ways to sort of express and reinforce that dynamic, which is why, you know, a lot of people gravitate towards these tropes, these sort of SM tropes that you see in SM porn, because it's a way to make concrete this, this mood, this, this, this sexual, uh, you know, game. And so you may find yourself going that way or you may not, but you just need to get out there and get reading. Start with Cleese Press, start with their website, flip through the catalog, you'll find a lot of really good stuff. Dan, I just listened to your question on pod or your answer on podcast eighty three. Um, so there's a guy who said something about you saying that all gay people are damaged goods because of the messages that they've received about their sexuality from our culture and from religion and from all sides. And um, I guess my question is um, because I've dated my major relationships have been with guys who have who were raised with really strong Catholic um, backgrounds, and I really felt that in both of those cases um, that affected the way they expressed their sexuality and the kind of the feelings, the really severe feelings of guilt and shame that they brought into their sex lives, into our sex lives. So um, I'm starting to regard lapsed Catholics as damaged goods because of the messages that I um, that I think are really pervasive, even in a fairly culturally Catholic situation, and certainly anyone who gets a, a Catholic religious education, um, the messages about the Virgin Mary and the Madonna whore complex that results from that, and maybe all the stuff about masturbating, sending you to hell, and telling that to kids just at the age of they're starting to masturbate and telling them every single week that they're going to go to hell. Um, I think that even if even if a person lapses or doesn't, you know, claim to really take that in, I can't see how that doesn't affect someone, and I can't see how it didn't affect the Catholic guys that I dated. So my question to you is, um, do you think that it is wrong for me to view all straight Catholic guys or many straight Catholic guys or lapsed Catholic guys because dating anyone who's actively religious um, is probably a no-go for me. But do you think it's wrong for me to view lapsed Catholics as damaged goods because I'm starting to or is my sample size too small and we're all damaged goods and you just got to deal with it? 
hey, you know what? In your the call where you called back to be more succinct. Uh-huh. Blah, blah, blah. You still went on and on. My God. <laughs> but the worst thing that you did, much worse than uh, the blah, 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 blah. Uh, I, I, they didn't even, the text that we got received didn't even play for me the original call, so I can't imagine how long that was. Um, is that You said that I said that, not, that all gay people are damaged goods, and I, I've never said that. Oh, I didn't. Did I, I didn't. No, I thought that you said to that, that guy who called you. I've said that gay people are damaged goods at a slightly higher rate, are likelier to be damaged goods than than, you know, than straight people are because of what we suffer in you know churches and in our families. Um, but there's a lot of damaged goods, straight people kicking around, as you've discovered. And not all gay people are damaged goods, but a significantly greater percentage of gay people are, which is why gay people, when they're out there dating, need to be on their guard, just like straight people need to be on their guard, and not give other gay people the benefit of any doubt. Like, well, because he's gay and out, he must be good and emotionally healthy, because that's not necessarily the case. Okay, I'm sorry, I wouldn't have certainly not meant to misunderstand that way. I'm not mad at you or anything. I'm just restating this with a little bit of an edge in my voice because I hear about it all the time from people who are like, you think all gay people are fucked up. It's like I don't actually say that. I say... No, no, no. I get it. Okay, so the Catholic thing. And, And I guess as a gay person and a Catholic, I'm just double whammy there. I'm a double threat. Right? Well, that's kind of my qual. No, I mean that's that's kind of that's kind of what I kind of looking to you to to debunk. Obviously, it's not that way. Obviously, there's some way to get beyond these messages. Well, how many, but I how guess many, I kind of kind of. How many straight shame and guilt-driven Catholics have you betted? Um, I'd say like half of the pretty short, relatively short list of people I've betted have like. I, that's what I'm kind of questioning is like. I haven't been with enough people to say, like, oh, you've across been, the you've board. You've been with enough to notice a pattern that the Catholic guys yes. need to be a bit more inhibited and guilt-ridden. Yes, and kind of like in a way, or I guess not only from my own experience, but from my close friends who I've kind of shared this with, like, it kind of seems like it's not always this really overt thing, like, that you notice the first time you go to bed with someone, but more like in a long-term relationship, over time, Have over multiple... Have you been to bed with a guy who had same, similar guilt and shame and inhibition issues who wasn't Catholic? I've only been in long-term relationships and with lap. Catholics, so I'm kind of, that's where I'm drawing my experiences from, but I'm sure that there are many guilty, shamed Well, there, there are. Just the thing is that, you know, when somebody, you, you just, you don't want to have confirmation bias where you identify these traits and look back and find Catholicism and go, oh, it's the Catholicism, and then when you find a guilt-ridden, you know, inhibited, inhibited guy, uh, you don't, you, you, who's not Catholic, you don't credit it to the Catholicism and it doesn't jibe with your you know, prejudice in a non-sort of toxic right. word. Right, um, that's a, a really good question. But you're right, you know, the Catholic faith is very sort of sexually uh, dysfunctional and fraught, and a lot of Catholic guys suffer from, you know, inhibitions and, and, and guilt trips and shame, just like a lot of Jews, just like a lot of fundy crazies, <laughs> uh, just like a lot of everybody else. I think you may be right, though, it may be very similar to the gay thing, in that Catholic boys suffer from these uh, guilt and shame uh, impacts at a slightly greater rate because the Catholic faith is a bit more obsessed with sex than some others. Um, the, the, the thing, though, is that guilt and shame, if a guy has wrestled with his demons, often become, you know, garlic and hot sauce. It often transubstantiates, if I may borrow that word from the Pope, 
into a hotter, more interesting sex life because somebody is working through their, you know, hang-ups in an erotic way once they're once they're reconciled to their desires. I think that'd be really cool. I think that's the thing that I've I've kind of only experienced it kind of play out and even build up, like get more noticeable as a relationship goes on. Like maybe in the beginning it's kind of, you don't notice it because you're kind of having all the like hot sex beginning of the relationship. But the pattern that I kind of picked up on was like, at some point, there comes an urge to put some kind of limitation on sex, whether it's what you do or how you do it or what, what time dating, of day. You're dating young Catholic guys who are probably, you know, you threw out Madonna whore, probably still wrestling with that. And when they're just dating you and they're not in love with you yet, they can treat you like a whore and you dig it mm. and the sex is hot. And then the more sort of deeply they begin to feel for you, they begin to revere you mm-hmm. a little bit, and they start to regard you as Madonna, and they shouldn't be, you know, blowing loads on your face. Um, that never occurred to me in just those terms. As I always thought it was kind of a more classic, like, oh, as the relationship goes on, it gets less hot because you get bored. But the idea that as the relationship gets more intense, the the sort of like the the sexual partner could go from being the whore to the Madonna. That's a fascinating right. idea. What happens is, you know, I love you. I can't do these things to you. And then you get guys who, you know, have a wife at home who's perfectly willing to have a load blown on her face, but they go and rent somebody to do that for them because they can't do that to their wife. And, you know, young guys, you know, young guys particularly may have a hang-up where they, you know, haven't reconciled these impulses yet, haven't realized that you can have a Madonna and a whore and it can be one person. And you can I think, yeah, I think years. So. And not all guys, many guys do reconcile themselves, do grow up sexually and realize that they don't have to have, you know, women that they treat like Kleenex and women that they put on a pedestal. That you can have one woman who is on the pedestal when she's on the pedestal and is the Kleenex when she's the Kleenex and she treats you the same way. Because that's part of what being, you know, fully rounded sexual person is about. Sometimes you're a person and sometimes you're a piece of meat. And that's, you know, you want a partner who treats you like a piece of meat sometimes and like a person most of the time. And he may have, these guys, these handful of young Catholic boys you've dated, probably haven't been out there dating long enough to realize that they have to work on this and they have to reconcile themselves too. Or they're going to have really fucked up sex lives. Yeah, I guess that's, that's my question, and maybe like maybe I didn't make enough of an effort in those relationships to be more open about about sex or like to talk about you know these seem these are really heavy heady issues that you probably can. How do you deal with something like that if that's not your background? You just talk um, about it. You just say, "This is what I want." What's wrong with you? And if he says, I, feel, "I love you too much to treat you that way," you say, "You know what? If you love me, you would treat me that way." You just lance the boil. You go right to the issue and you talk about it. Good advice. Hey, that's why they pay me the big bucks. It's totally cool to notice a pattern and say, wow, Catholic boys have this particular issue, it seems, in my experience. But I wouldn't avoid dating Catholic boys because of it. Because that particular issue that you've encountered in the right Catholic boy can become a scorching hot sex life when he flips it. I love, I love that idea as a, as a Jewish girl who's always been, for whatever reason, attracted to skinny Catholic boys. <laughs> well, go for it. And keep us posted and send me pictures. Well, we're going to leave it right there with the Catholic boys and their loads blown on Jewish girls' faces. www.thestranger.com slash savage is where you download us every week. I blog every day at slog.thestranger.com. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you'd like to record a question for a future podcast, please call again, 206-201-2720. Try to keep it under two minutes and leave us a callback number in case we want to get in touch with you. Uh, 
Once again, this was the Savage Lovecast. I'm Dan Savage. The tech savvy at risk youth are gathered around me now as we finish this very special 87th or 88th installment of the Lovecast. And our intro and outro music, as always, by the Popovers. And you can find more about them at www.myspace.com slash the Popovers. Back at you next week with another podcast.